March 13th, Bible in a Year, Robert Murray McShane, Reading Plan. Let's pray. Holy Heavenly Father, Father of all mercy and grace and continuance and joy and happiness, Lord, I ask that you open up my heart, my mind, and my soul to your word right now. And anybody that's listening, Lord, might you open up their heart, their mind, to the hearing of your word. Let it not be just a robotic exercise, Lord, but filled with your glory, filled with a revelation of yourself, filled with the knowledge that you are in control of everything. And there's great peace and great joy in that. Jesus Christ is King. His blood is precious, dear, and he can be found everywhere in this word. My Lord, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the moment that I have to enjoy your word. In Christ's name, I Exodus 24. <clears throat> then he said to Moses, Go up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abiba, and seventy of Israel's elders, and bow and worship at a distance. Moses alone is to approach the Lord, but the others are not to approach, and the people are not to go up with him. Moses came and told the people all the commands of the Lord and all the ordinances. Then all the people responded with a single voice, We will do everything that the Lord has commanded. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early the next morning and set up an altar and twelve pillars for the twelve tribes of Israel at the base of the mountain. And he sent out young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood and set it in basins. The other half of the blood he splattered on the altar. He then took the covenant scroll and read it aloud to the people. They responded, we will do and obey all that the Lord has commanded. Moses took the blood, splattered it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. And Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of Israel's elders, and they saw the God of Israel. Beneath his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as clear as the sky itself. God did not harm the Israelites' nobles. They saw him, and they ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay there, so that I may give you the stone tablets with the law and the commandments I have written for their instruction. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua and went up the mountain of God. He told the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. Aaron and Hur are here with you. Whoever has a dispute should go to them. Moses went up the mountain, the cloud covered it. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for sixty or six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses from the cloud. The appearance of the Lord's glory to the Israelites was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. Moses entered the cloud as he went up the mountain, and he remained on the mountain forty days and forty nights. Job 42 is on the agenda here. Next. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? 
Surely I spoke about things I did not understand, things too wondrous for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. When I question you, you will inform me. I had heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I reject my words, and am sorry for them. I am dust and ashes. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz and Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Now take seven bulls and seven rams, go to my servant Job, and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. Then my servant Job will pray for you. I will surely accept his prayer and not deal with you as your folly deserves. For you have not spoken the truth about me, as my servant Job has. Then Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shulite, and Zophar the Namathite went and did as the Lord had told them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and doubled his previous possessions. All his brothers, sisters, former acquaintances came to him and dined with him in his house. They sympathized with him and comforted him concerning all the adversity the Lord had brought on him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold earring. So the Lord blessed the last part of Job's life more than the first. He owned 14,000 sheep and goats, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke and oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. He named his first daughter Jemimah, Jemimah. his second Keziah, and his third Karen Habuch. No woman as beautiful as Job's daughters could be found in all the land, and their father granted them, them an inheritance with their brothers. Job lived 140 years after this and saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. Then Job died, old and full of days. What a remarkable story. Proverbs 13 today. Proverbs 13. A wise son responds to his father's discipline, but a mocker doesn't listen to rebuke. From the fruit of his mouth, a person will enjoy good things, but treacherous people have an appetite for violence. One who guards his mouth protects his life. The one who opens his lips invites his own ruin. The slacker craves, yet has nothing, but the diligent is fully satisfied. The righteous hate lying, but the wicked bring disgust and shame. Righteousness guards people of integrity, but wickedness undermines undermines the sinner. One person pretends to be rich, but has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, but has abundant wealth. Riches are a ransom for a person's life, but a poor person hears no threat. The light of the righteous shines brightly, but the lamp of the wicked is put out. Arrogance leads to nothing but strife, but wisdom is gained by those who take advice. Wealth obtained by fraud will dwindle, but whoever earns it through labor will multiply it. Hope delayed makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. One who has contempt for instruction will pay the penalty, but the one who respects a command will be rewarded. A wise person instruction 
is a fountain of life, turning people away from the snares of death. Good sense wins favor, but the way of the treacherous never changes. Every sensible person acts knowledgeably, but a fool displays his stupidity. A wicked ombud falls into trouble, but a trustworthy courier brings healing. Poverty and disgrace come to those who ignore discipline, but the one who accepts correction will be honored. Desire fulfilled is sweet to the taste, but to turn from evil is detestable to fools. One who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Disaster pursues sinners, but good rewards the righteous. Good man leaves an inheritance to his grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. The uncultivated field of the poor yields abundant food, but without justice it is swept away. The one who will not use the rod hates his son, but the one who loves him disciplines him diligently. A righteous person eats until he is satisfied, but the stomach of the wicked is empty. I think we're in John 3 today. The famous John 3. Mm. One of the greatest chapters in the entire Bible. In my humble opinion. Here we go, John 3. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born again when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water, and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be? asked Nicodemus. Are you a teacher? Israel and don't know these things? Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, we speak what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the one and the only Son of God. 
excuse me. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and baptized. John also was baptizing in Anion, near Salim, because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being baptized since John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about and who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. John responded, No one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but I have seen him. I have been sent ahead of him. He who was, oh, he who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. One who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. One who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard. And yet no one accepts his testimony. The one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. For the one whom God sent speaks God's words, since he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life. But the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. So much theology packed into one chapter. Unpack that for life or eternity. And we will. Amen. Oh, it is Second Corinthians twelve. Boasting is necessary, it is not profitable, but I will move on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who was caught up to the third heaven fourteen years ago. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. I know that this man, whether in the body or out of the body, I I don't know. God knows. Was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which a human being is not allowed to speak. I will boast about this person, but not about myself, except of my weaknesses. For if I want to boast, I wouldn't be a fool, because I would be telling the truth. But I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me a messenger of Satan, to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. 
Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have been a fool. You forced it on me. You ought to have commended me, since I am not in any way inferior to those super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of an apostle were performed with unfailing endurance among you, including signs and wonders and miracles. So in what way are you worse off than the other churches except that I personally did not burden you? Forgive me for this wrong. Look, I am ready to come to you this third time. I will not burden you since I am not seeking what is yours, but you. For children ought not to save for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for you. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Now granted, I did not burden you, yet sly as I am, I took you in by deceit. <clears throat> did I take advantage of you by any of those I sent you? I urged Titus to go, and I sent the brother with him. Titus didn't take advantage of you, did he? Didn't he walk in the same spirit and the same footsteps? Have you been thinking all along that we were defending ourselves to you? No. In the sight of God, we are speaking in Christ, and everything, dear friends, is for building you up. For I fear that perhaps when I came, when I come, I will not find to find you to be what I want, and you may not find me to be what you want. Perhaps there will be quarreling, jealousy, anger, outbursts, selfish ambitions, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. I fear that when I come, my God will again humiliate me in your presence, and I will grieve for many who sinned before and have not repented of the moral impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality they practiced. Wow. Now to the monthly... Meditation chapters. Second Corinthians seven through nine. So then, dear friends, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit. bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one, corrupted no one, taken advantage of no one. I don't say this to condemn you, since I have already said that you are in our hearts, to die together and to live together. I am very frank with you, and I have great pride in you. I am filled with encouragement. I am overflowing with joy in all our afflictions. In fact, when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. Instead, we were troubled in every way, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the arrival of Titus, and not only by his arrival, but also by the comfort he received from you. He told us about your deep longing, your sorrow, and your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For even if I grieved you with my letter, I don't regret it. And if I regretted it since I saw that the letter grieved you, yet only for a while I now rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed, so that you didn't experience any loss from us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. 
but worldly grief produces death. Consider how much diligence this very thing, this grieving, as God wills, has produced in you. What a desire to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what deep longing, what zeal, what justice. In every way you showed yourselves to be pure in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not because of the one who did wrong or because of the one who was wronged, but in order that your devotion to us might be made plain to you in the sight of God. For this reason we have been comforted. In addition to our own comfort, we rejoiced even more over the joy Titus had, because his spirit was refreshed by all of you. For if I have been made any boast to him about you, I have not been disappointed. But as I have spoken everything to you in truth, so our boasting to Titus was, or has also turned out to be the truth. And his affection toward you is even greater, as he remembers the obedience of all of you, and how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice that I have complete confidence in you. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing the ministry to the saints, and not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. I'm not saying this as a command, rather by means of the diligence of others. I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich for your sake, he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I am giving advice because it is profitable for you, who began last year not only to do something but also to want to do it. Now also finish the task so that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. It is not that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need, so that their abundance may in turn meet your need, in order that there may be equality. As it is written, the person who had much did not have too much, and the person who had little did not have too little. Thanks be to God who put the same concern for you into the heart of Titus. For he welcomed our appeal and, being very diligent, went out to you by his own choice. We have sent with him the brother who is praised among all the churches for his gospel ministry. Not only that, but he was also appointed by the churches to accompany us with the with this gracious gift that we are administering for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We are taking this precaution so that no one will criticize us about this large sum that we are administering. Indeed, we are giving careful thought to do what is right, not only before the Lord, but also before people. We have also sent with them our brother. We have often tested him in many circumstances and found him to be diligent and now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker for you. As for our brothers, they are the messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. 
Therefore show them proof before the churches of your love and of your boasting, of our boasting about you. Now concerning the ministry to the saints, it is unnecessary for me to write to you, for I know your eagerness, and I boast about you to the Macedonians. Achai has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you in this matter would not prove empty, and so that you would be ready just as I said. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, would be put to shame. In that situation, therefore, I considered it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance the generous gift you promised, so that it would be ready as a gift and not as an extortion. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God who is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity and sharing with them and with everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Amen. Psalm as a bonus today. Psalm 27, one of my personal, personal favorites. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? When evildoers came against me to devour my flesh, my foes, and my enemies stumbled and fell. Though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, I will still be confident. I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking Him in His temple, he will conceal me in his shelter. In the day of adversity, he will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Then my head will be high above my enemies around me. I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts and joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. My heart says this about you. Seek his face, Lord. I will seek your face. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. 
You have been my helper. Do not leave me or abandon me, God of my salvation. Even if my father and my mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. Because my adversary show me. Because of my adversary, show me your way, Lord, and lead me on a level path. Do not give me over to the will of my foes or false witnesses rise up against me, breathing violence. I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you saturate my mind in your word, Lord, that what I've read today come through the pages, not be a dead letter exercise, Lord, but let it absolutely invigorate life in me, Lord. I'm going to understand it, reveal yourself all the more throughout the day by what we've read, Lord. Allow anyone reading this, Lord, to be overwhelmed by your joy and your grace. All those who are born of the Spirit, may we in unison rejoice together to the God who is always faithful in His covenant love, who came down in the flesh, humbled Himself, and died on a cross as a curse, Lord. Thank You for Your sacrifice. I thank You for the continued, continued graces, Lord, that overwhelm. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.